God has not given me a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Therefore, I will be strong, take heart, and hope in the Lord. Amen. Let's bless the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of God to us today. Lord, we're not going to fear, but we're going to take hope in you. We're going to be strong in you, Lord. You are the hope of our salvation, the hope of our deliverance. And wherever we find ourselves this Sunday morning, we know that you are with us, oh God. And you are going to encourage us in this service, Lord. You're going to give us the boldness of a lion, Lord, to stand in the place of adversity, in the place of trial. Lord, we will stand and we will come to the destination that you have apportioned for each one of us, Lord. Even though the winds and the tempests may blow, and temporarily, Lord, we might be blown off course. But Lord, according to your word, we will reach our destination and we are victorious. We are the victorious people of God. And we give you thanks as we look at this scripture, Lord, you will speak to us from the pages of your word today in the name of Jesus. Let's say amen. Amen. Praise God. Please be seated. So we're following the book of Acts. We've been following the book of Acts since September of last year. And this morning we find ourselves at Acts 27. And the theme that I want to speak to by God's grace is courage in crisis. Courage in crisis. Brother Andrew Mongi brought an excellent message to us last Sunday. So if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back onto YouTube and go through that message. I haven't got time to really do a long recap on that. Thank you, Brother Andrew, and to all the other speakers who have delivered in this series. So from Acts 26, what we see there is Paul, the apostle, being held in custody with no formal charge. And Paul is like a political hot potato. He's been passed around from governor to governor, from one authority to the next. And in Acts 26, towards the end of it, he appeals to Festus, the governor Festus, to be heard before Caesar in Rome because he's a Roman citizen. So Caesar says to Paul, You've appealed to Caesar, so to Caesar you shall go. So that's a very brief summary of Acts 20, well, 26, but I know Brother Andrew covered 25 and 26. So jumping straight in now at Acts 27 verse 1, I will read through most of this passage, Acts 27 again, and just comment as we move through it. So Acts 27 verse 1, it says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Amen. Whenever we see centurions in the scripture, they all seem to be pretty decent guys. They seem to be um, men of good character. You can find this in Matthew 8, Luke 7, Acts 10, and here again in Acts 27. This guy, Julius, he's a centurion, and he's, he's the same. He's, he's a guy of decent character, but he's a special centurion because he is a centurion of the Augustan Regiment or of Augustus, and Augustus is another name for Caesar. So this Julius is like the cream of the crop. He's like the elite amongst centurions, and he's overseeing the operation of transporting the Apostle Paul along with other prisoners to Caesar. So he's got very important duties 
to carry out to make sure that they arrive intact in Rome. So verse 2 says, So entering a ship of Angemiatium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty of Cnidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, of Salomon, of Salmon, sorry. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Amen. So you see in this passage here, notice the character of Julius, the centurion. He treats Paul with kindness and consideration. And when the ship arrives at a place called Sidon, he allows Paul's friends to come and to minister to him, to care for him, and they probably also brought provisions for Paul for the rest of the journey, food, drinks, and and other things. I want us to notice in verse 2 that Luke here, who is the writer and recorder of these historic circumstances, he uses the personal pronoun, we. So earlier on in the book of Acts, he would say, they, but from Acts sort of 16 onwards, he's part of the journey now. So remember, he's a medical doctor, but he's saying, we, because Luke is an eyewitness. He's journeying with Paul at this point. And also, there's another brother that's traveling with Paul, another Christian brother or another brother of the way. His name is Aristarchus. He's from Thessalonica. And in the book of Colossians, Colossians 4.10, Paul refers to Aristarchus as a fellow prisoner. So we know Julius, we know Paul, we know Aristarchus, we know Luke is there. We don't know the names of the others. But Paul has two good friends journeying with him on this dangerous voyage. Did you know that when your life is going through times of danger, times of tribulation, that you need some good friends with you. Amen. You can't make it by yourself. When times get tough, you need some good friends. No matter how strong you feel you are, you know, as an individual, there are times that come when you need some good friends. Anybody got some good friends? I hope everybody in here has got at least one good friend. You need some good friends. You know what I want us to do? Right now, can you give God thanks for your your good friends? Just thank God. Thank God you're not alone. Thank God that you have some good friends who mean you well, who are journeying with you, particularly when you're going through tough times. The scripture said we should give God thanks in all things. 1 Thessalonians 5. So as we read on, we're going to discover that this voyage is taking place in late in the year, around about October. And it's important to note here that Luke, who is a medical doctor, he's not a sailor. He's a medical doctor. He's a close friend and associate of Paul. But yet he's such a careful historian that the details that Luke records in this chapter about this voyage gives us more information about how sailing took place in the first century in the Mediterranean than any other 
manuscripts, and in fact, more than all the manuscripts put together. So that's kind of you know, validating the scripture, the word of God, how accurate the word of God is, that we can learn from this passage how they sailed in the Mediterranean in the first century. I think that's wonderful. So they didn't have in those days compasses or sextants. As the images come up on the screen there. They didn't have that in those days to guide them as they sailed. But they used the position of the sun and the stars to guide them. And that's going to become important because you're going to see as we go, they're going to go into 14 days of darkness. So they relied on the sun and the stars for their positioning. And in that time, in, the, in that part of the world, the Mediterranean, in that time, usually all the voyages would end around October. So all shipping would be finished and would resume in about March of the next year. Because there were winter storms that would suddenly arise in that part of the world. And these were quite vicious storms, very dangerous very uh, treacherous. It wasn't a good time to be at sea, basically. So we will notice that as they were sailing, and if you go to the next image, that instead of taking a direct line from Caesarea to Italy, because it was so dangerous, what they had to do was kind of sail very close to the coastline. So for one, they would know where they are, and hopefully if they get into trouble, then they could make it back to the, the shore. So in verse 6, it tells us that this centurion Julius, he puts 276 men onto a grain ship. Now a grain ship is a very large ship, one that was very difficult to steer. It only had one sail. And this grain ship, in those days, Egypt was the major exporter of, of grain. So this ship is probably coming from Egypt and traveling to Italy. It's loaded down with grain, so it's going to move very slowly, as we see in verse 7. So they, they, they begin to set sail, and verse 8 tells us that they end up in a small town called Fair Havens. Now, this is a place where the intention is, is to stay here for three to four months until this dangerous season for sailing has passed and then resume the journey from there on to, to Rome. But this place, Fairhaven, there's not much going on in Fairhaven. It's a small town, and we'll see as we read on that. The sailors don't want to spend three to four months in fair heaven because they're going to get bored. Okay, so let's look at verse 9. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Amen. So the fast that Paul is talking about there is the Feast of the Day of Atonement. So that's how we know that they are towards the end of October and going into November. And Paul is saying, men, I know that you want to leave this place because you're bored and you want to head to somewhere where there's more excitement. But he's saying, I perceive that if we do this, we may even lose our lives, the cargo and the ship. Now, Paul is not speaking prophetically here. He's not saying, well, God has told me this. Remember, Paul's a seasoned traveler. Paul is speaking from experience. The sailors are pressurizing Julius to say, listen, we're fed up of this place. We know it's dangerous to sail, but we've got to go on to the next stop. So Paul speaks up here, and the word that's used there for perceive means to perceive from past experience. He's not saying that God told me this, but you have to remember that Paul at this point 
had already been shipwrecked three times. 2 Corinthians 11.25 tells us that. So Paul is speaking from experience. The sailors don't want to spend three months in a small town and they're probably thinking, well, we're not going to listen to this guy, Paul, because he's a prisoner. He's going to Rome to stand before Caesar and probably he doesn't want to go to Rome. So it's not in his interest to advance the journey, to go on to the next stop. They're probably saying, well, we can understand why he's saying we should stay here. And then verse 11 says, Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the thing spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. Again, so they're hugging the coastline because really and truly they shouldn't be sailing in that season of the year. Notice here that the sailors put pressure on Julius and he yields to that pressure. We don't want to stop here in Fair Havens. We want to go to Phoenix. In Phoenix, they've got loads of restaurants, cafes, the nightlife is great, betting shops, we can play crazy golf. In Fairhavens, all I've got is a small village shop, a post office, and a church. You can imagine these, these sailors, they, they don't want to stop there for four months. They like the, 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 the nightlife. But notice here that the centurion listens to the majority. This is what the majority were saying. Paul is the only single voice that's saying, you know, it's dangerous to sail. I've got the experience. I've been shipwrecked three times. I don't think, gentlemen, that we should sail at this point. Let's be patient. But the majority, the majority saying, we're fed up with this place. Let's go. Verse 13 says, when the south wind blew softly. So they looked at their present circumstances and based on that, they set sail. Something happened to me yesterday. Let me just share it with you. <laughs> and I haven't been doing any walks for a long time. So yesterday, we got fast with myself. <laughs> and said, I'm going to do a walk. And uh, looked out the window. It was sunny. So I thought, I'm not even going to wear a coat. And I, I got the umbrella, and I put it down. I said, I'm not going to need this. I mean, I look out the window, it's just, you know, lovely day out there. And I was about halfway through my walk, and I saw the clouds start to gather. And then we see a light flash. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there was such a downpour. And I was running. Can you imagine big man like me running? <laughs> I was running and I found this tree. There's no other shelter where I was. I had to stand underneath this tree. And then I phoned home. And I called up. I said, dear wife. Come out and rescue me. <laughs> and I stood there until Sonia came. Picked me up. I was drenched. And rescue me. Thank you, Sonia. God bless you. And while I was standing under the tree, I thought, but Lord, this is the message we're going to preach tomorrow. So maybe God would have me to go through that experience. What I want to look at is how not to discern God's will. A couple of times we've looked at how to discern God's will. So I'm going to look at how not to discern God's will. And we can get this from the scripture. 
Don't be impatient. They were impatient. They couldn't wait for three to four months. They wanted to get to that place where it's exciting and all things going on. So when you are inquiring of God for his will and purpose for your life, you have to be patient. Don't be impatient. The second thing is that we should not always follow the world's majority opinion. The majority are not always right. Would you agree with that? So we hear lots of things being said in this time, don't we? And it seems, even if it's not the majority, they make it out as if this is what the majority is saying. Well, the majority is not always right. What we have to do is pay attention to God and pay attention to what God's word says. Amen? Thirdly, their decision was based on their ease and comfort and entertainment. When we are seeking God's will, we shouldn't always seek the easiest path. What's going to make us comfortable? Because sometimes God allows us to go through situations because he wants to build our faith. He wants to work on our character. He wants to prepare us for something else which is ahead of us. God is interested in growth. God is not interested in just you being comfortable. Sometimes we think that's, you know, God just wants us to live a comfortable life. No. God wants to stretch us. God wants us to grow. God wants us to develop our faith. And then they made a decision based on the present circumstances. Looks like fair weather. Same thing I did. Not a cloud in the sky. Looks like fair weather. So even though we know it's a dangerous time to be sailing, looks like fair weather, so let's set sail. And they end up in a storm. I believe that God wants us, as we are seeking his will and purpose, to use our brains. You don't always need a word from God. Use the good brain that God has given you. Someone calls it anointed common sense. And someone else said, did you know that common sense is not common? But God wants us to see all the experiences we've been through. God wants to bring that to bear when we are making decisions. Amen. So we must follow the inner conviction of the Holy Spirit. We don't always go with the, with the crowd. We shouldn't be impatient. We shouldn't always be looking for the easiest and comfortable route. And we can't always judge based on present circumstances what we should be doing. But God wants us to use the good brain and common sense that is given to us. Verse 14. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff, that's the lifeboat, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on Soritis sands. They struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Amen. They set out, it seemed like fair weather, everything would be okay. Verse 14 tells us, not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called the Euroclidon. In the King James, it says it calls it a northeaster. And what it is, it's a violent wind. If you think of a typhoon, it's that kind of a wind, a typhoon, a violent wind. And the scripture tells us that the skiff, which is a lifeboat, they had great difficulty getting that lifeboat on, on, on board the ship. Because what they used to do in that time, the lifeboat didn't travel on the ship. 
it was secured by a rope and it would follow the ship. So because of this storm, they had to get this lifeboat on board the ship and it was very difficult to do so. No doubt they must have dropped the sail and the ship was drifting. It was impossible to steer. And look at what the scripture says here, that they literally had to tie up the belly of the ship. They had to run cables under the ship and literally tie it up like you would tie up a package to stop the ship from falling apart. Then the scripture tells us in verse 18, on the second day, things were so bad that this grain that is being transported to Rome, they began to throw the grain overboard. On the third day now, verse 19, they began to throw tackle overboard. This is a ship's furniture to lighten the ship. And in verse 20, Luke writes here that we lost all hope. So that's including him. So this is one of uh, Paul's friends who's sailing along with him. Luke, I presume Aristarchus as well. And all the others lost hope. 275 men in a storm, on a ship, without hope. But there was only one person who was hopeful, and that was the Apostle Paul. And in verse 21, it says, But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Amen. So this is one of those I told you moments. What did I say to you? But notice the way that Paul uses this. Paul doesn't say to you, I told you that we shouldn't have sailed. But Paul also brings forth encouragement. So he does do the I told you, but he brings forth encouragement. So whenever we're going to do a verse 21 and say, I told you, that must be coupled together with a verse 22. Therefore, I want to encourage you to move forward. And also notice that it was after a long time. So to me, it seems as if Paul thought about this. He didn't just rush to say, what me tell you? Me did one, you know. Paul sat back, he thought about it, he brings the I told you moment, but he also brings encouragement, instruction, and application. What do we learn from this? Well, we're all going to have those I told you moments. Yeah? So whether you are a, a parent, or you supervise, you know, maybe employees, or you have a challenge, you know, with your neighbor or whatever, there are going to come those I told you moments. But as Christians, what God wants us to do is to bring the I told you moments, nothing wrong with correcting someone, but along with that, bring encouragement, instruction, and application. Amen. This, this can be applied in many, many Circumstances. I hope that you're going to take a hold of that. Verse 23. This is Paul continuing to speak. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Wow. Because Paul's on board, all 275 of the other passengers are going to arrive safely. Did you know that you are that important as a Christian? <laughs> Amen. That, that's powerful. And then Paul says, therefore, take heart. In other words, he's saying, believe with me, men. For I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. 
So notice here that Paul is the only one that brings this message of hope, but his hope is based on the word of the Lord, and he believes God. So God gives him a word, but he also believes that word. Can we say like Paul when we're passing through difficulties, I have a word from God, and I also believe God. I have faith that God is going to bring me through this challenge. And Paul says to them, take heart. In, in other words, Paul's saying, I believe what I want you to believe with me. Take heart. When we are going through rough times, you don't want doubters around you. You don't want negativity around you. When you're going through tough times, you need people who will believe with you, even against the odds. It may seem like you're not going to pull through. You need people around you who believe with you. So maybe if people are being negative around you, say like Paul to them, take heart. Why don't you just believe with me? Can you believe with me to get through these circumstances? So that's what Paul is doing here. And Paul is going to Rome. And all those who are sailing with him are going to make it to Rome. That is so powerful. That is so powerful that because of Paul... All those who are with him are going to make it to Rome. And if we go back into Acts, we will see that God said to Paul, you're going to go to Rome and stand before Caesar. So maybe that also was a reassurance to Paul that no matter what comes, you know, the shipwreck in the next chapter is going to be bitten by a snake and they're going to look for him to die. But Paul knows no matter what happens, I'm going to land in Rome. Do you have a word from God that you're going to make it? Do you believe that word? Because you've got to believe it. So we're going to note now the duration of the storm, and I'm just going to read verse 27, but comment through to verse 32. And verse 27 reads, Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near to some land. So the scripture allows us to locate where they are on this voyage in the midst of this storm. 14 nights it's been going on. And they are 500 miles off course in the Adriatic Sea. Scripture tells us that they were in this storm for 14 days and 14 nights. They're not able to see the sun and the stars, so they've got no idea where they are. Now, I don't know if your mind would wonder to say, why doesn't the mighty Apostle Paul, like Jesus, stand up, as Jesus did in Mark 4, and command the winds and the waves to cease? Why didn't Paul do that? Well, we don't know. But you know from life experience and from what we see in the Scripture, that even though we have the promises of God, that sometimes we still have to go through storms. Christians don't like to hear that because we just want to hear all the good, all the good stuff, don't we? We don't want to hear that. Sometimes we still have to go through trials. And sometimes apparently there's no reason for why we're passing through these, these trials. We see this many times in Scripture, and the, the story that really came to me is the story of Joseph, who God gave a dream to this young lad that he's going to be a ruler. But the route to that great position wasn't a straightforward and direct route, was it? So Joseph hadn't done anything wrong, remember. He was just an innocent lad. He hadn't done anything wrong. So all that he went through, God wasn't punishing him, but yet he had to go through it. God could have delivered him from it. But God allowed him to be sold into slavery, mistreated by his brothers. When he gets down to Egypt, things seem to be working out at a certain point. Then he's lied on and he ends up in prison and forgotten there until God would have it, that he would rise to prominence. So although we have the promise of God, or God gives you a vision, 
and says, this is what I have for you, it doesn't mean you're going to go the direct route and it doesn't mean you're not going to pass through trials. The three Hebrew boys, they went through the fire, didn't they? Daniel went into the lion's den, didn't he? God could have delivered them from those circumstances, but they went through it. But what we have to remember that God is working out eternal purposes in our hearts. What God is doing and he allows us to go through in life is not just for this life. God is looking way beyond across the eternal threshold who he's making us to be. And Revelation tells us that one day when we stand before God, we are going to say, God, everything that you've allowed me to live through, I now understand was for my good. We can't say that now because there's so much that we don't understand. But one day we will stand before a just and righteous God. And in that by and by we will understand that everything that we have gone through is for our own good and that God is a good and faithful God. So the scripture tells us in verse 28 through to 32 that the sailors determine they are coming towards a mass of land and they begin to take soundings until they come to a depth of 15 fathoms. That's about 90 feet. And at that point, they lower four anchors. But eventually, they're going to cut loose these anchors in verse 40. Now, I find it interesting that in recent times, in fact, in 1971, about 90 feet deep into the sea around Malta, some Maltese fishermen, divers, guess what they found? Four anchors. Wow. Could those be the anchors that they cut loose from the ship? Could well be. You know that um, all these findings support the Word of God, you know, back up the Word of God. The, the, the Word of God, yes, it's, it's absolute truth. It's God's revealed Word to us. But history and archaeological findings verify and support the Scripture. That's interesting. Verse 30, so some of the sailors, when they kind of see how bad this storm is, they want to let down the lifeboat into the sea and escape. They want to run off and leave the, the prisoners. But then Paul says, unless the men stay in the ship, they can't be saved. So what they decide to do is cut loose the lifeboat. So you can imagine that they've got no lifeboat now. The ship is being battered, tossed on the sea. They're throwing cargo overboard. Verse 33 says, and as a day was about to dawn, so the storm is coming to an end. Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival. Listen to this statement. Since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Wow. In the midst of a storm, not even a hair is going to fall from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God. Does that remind you of anything? In the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged. Wow. And also took food themselves. And in all, there were 276 persons on the ship. Amen. So in verse 20, all lost hope. In verse 36, they were all encouraged. And note what Paul does here. Paul, again, is a very practical person. They hadn't eaten for 14 days. That means they are weak. So knowing that the ship's going to be destroyed, they would need strength, wouldn't they, to swim or to hang on to a broken piece of the ship. So Paul said, I know you've been fasting. He says, I'm advising you to eat something. Eat something. Again, practical use of common sense and the brain that God's given to you. 
And this scripture is saying to us that even though God has given us his promises, we still have to do something. <laughs> Amen. So God says that, you know, he will provide for you. The scripture says, never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging for bread. So does that mean you just lie around in your house all day, don't go to work? Yeah, the scripture says, you know, the righteous never begging for bread. So I don't need to work. I don't need to get no education. No. So God's promises are real. They're true. But we still have to do some practical things. Amen. So we can see what the economic climate is like that we're living in. So you just, you just keep overspending like there's no tomorrow? Or do you start to save some of your money? Cut back on the... Uh, so God will provide. Yes, God will provide. But you have to apply common sense to the way that you're living. Amen. So we don't tempt the Lord by saying, well, you said you're going to provide, so I'm going to just do what I want. No. This scripture is bringing out some practical things here. We have to be practical. Amen. And align ourselves with the promises in God's word. Verse 38. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed the bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. They let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waters. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. It's not going to happen because God has told Paul, you're going to Rome. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Amen. There's an end to every storm that you go through. Tell somebody, there's an end to every storm. No storm lasts indefinitely. There's an end to every storm. So the scripture tells us that when it was day, they recognized that they were heading towards land. They let go of the four anchors, hoisted the sail at this point, and attempted to head towards the shore. But the ship got stuck in sandbanks where two seas met. And then the stern, the rear of the ship, was being battered by the waves. And the ship is now being broken up into pieces. The scripture tells us that the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners for fear that they're going to escape. If a prisoner escapes under the watch of a soldier then that soldier would then have to fulfill the sentence of the escaped prisoner. So if that prisoner was sentenced to death, then that soldier's life would have to uh, be taken as well. So in order to avoid this, they want to kill the prisoners and save themselves. But Julius, again, this centurion, very decent guy, he says no. He wanted to save Paul, so he kept him alive. So verse 43 tells us that they then some swam to shore, others were floating on the broken pieces of the ship. But nonetheless, all escaped, every single one, all 276 escaped and were saved. I'm not going to preach that message about you can make it on broken pieces. I'm sure if, if, if you Google that, there's probably a hundred messages on that. But just to make the point that even if you can't swim, even if you can't swim, God provides a broken piece of a ship for you to grab onto and float to safety. Amen. Can we give a praise God there? 
And we also praise all those that have preached that message that you're going to go and check out as well. We give God thanks for them. Amen. Why do we go through trials? Why do we go through trials and testing? I think one of the things is because God wants us to inspire those around us. And you might think, I don't want, God, I don't want to be used in that way because, you know, I want easy life. But God wants to use you and I to inspire those without hope, those who are possibly even Christians, but certainly non-believers. God wants us to use our lives to say, here's someone who's going through it, but they're holding fast, they're remaining faithful. Wow, look at my servant. That's why I believe we go through trials, to show people there's another way. You don't have to commit suicide. Here's somebody just like you, same challenges you have, and they're making it step by step, day at a time. So our lives can be a testament to those around us. So that's why God allows us to go through trials. God also allows us to go through trials that our faith would grow, that we would know more of God's love, more of God's grace, more of God's faithfulness. That's what we learn when we go through trials. Because, you know, we think, we think we're okay. We think, yeah, we're mature, we're okay. But God, sometimes, when you go in a trial, your heart is exposed, isn't it? You find out things about yourself that you'd never know if you're just lying down in a bed of roses and receiving five-star service every time you click your fingers. You're not going to learn a great deal about yourself that way. But when you're tested, <laughs> then you find out what you're made out of. You find out what's really down in there. You find out, do I really believe or am I just spouting this, you know, and I, I don't really believe it. And then sometimes, you know, when we go through trials, one of the tough things is that sometimes there's no explanation. Search your heart. God, I don't believe I've done anything wrong. I don't believe I've been disobedient to you. So why, Lord, why am I going through this? Job passed through this, didn't he? Job passed through this. There was absolutely no explanation. We know the story that there was a conversation (laughs) that took place in in the heavenly places and that Job was being put through a test. But Job, he didn't know that. You know, so he was questioning everything and, and trying to figure out. His friends came and said, Job, you must have sinned. There is no way on this earth God will let you go through this and you're walking upright with him. No, it can't happen. And you know, some of the theology that we listen to these days will tell us the same thing. But it's not true. Sometimes we, it is our fault why we go through difficult challenges because of our own choices or maybe our own disobedience. But there are some times where it's just a test. We don't understand why. But in the by and by, in the by and by, there, there will come a time when we will understand it better, the song says. In the by and by. So our job is just to remain faithful to God because all of us will go through tests at some point in time. So I want to close by looking at four anchors. And this is going to lead to a time of prayer. Four things that we can do when we're going through trials. Number one, and this is all coming from Acts 27. Recognize that God is present with you in your situation. What does the scripture say? That God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So at times it seems as if God is absent. You can't feel God. You can't sense God around you. And you question, well, why am I going through this? We need to recognize that God is present in our situation. Number two, Paul says that he belonged to God. So we have to recognize that we belong to God. We are God's property. Even in the midst of our tests and trials, we belong to God. We are the apple of God's eye. Even if we don't understand why we are where we're at, we belong to God. And then Paul recognized that he was in the center of God's will because God has said to him, you're going to go to Rome, 
you're going to stand before Caesar. We need to ensure that the reason why we're going through a test is not because of our own undoing, because of our own disobedience. So we need to check our hearts and say, Lord, am I doing your will? Am I doing what you've called me to do? So we need to check ourselves and ask God to search our hearts. And then trust God in the midst of your test. Trust God to be faithful to fulfill what he has said. Not in our, not in our time, but according to his time and his purpose, we have to trust him that he will fulfill what he has said he would do. Amen? We're going to pray. All of us have either passed through trials or we're going through trials, or if you're not there yet, it's just life, isn't it? It's part of the package of life. that uh, We don't just sail through life scot-free and happy-go-lucky. Part of the package is that we're going to meet upon tests and trials. Some of them are going to be very, very difficult places that we've never found ourselves before. Lots of unanswered questions, sometimes feeling like, man, if I could just stop this world, I'd just get off right here. Because the pressure is just too much. But from this passage of scripture, we can draw some encouragement. And I want us to pray. I want us to recognize these four things that we need to do when we're going through trials. To recognize that God is present with us. Recognize that you belong to God. You're God's child. Ensure, check, are you in the will? Are you in the center of God's will? Or has God asked you to do something? And like Jonah... You're on the run. That's why Jonah ended up in, a, in a, a storm, because he was after the will of God. Paul, the contrast is different. He was in the will of God, in the midst of a storm. And then I want to encourage you to trust and be faithful to God, because he's going to fulfill his word. If you are going through a storm, I want to pray with you. If you're going through a storm, if you feel like the ship that you're on is being battered, it's been broken up, everyone around you is saying, we ain't going to make it, we've lost hope. But you know in your heart of hearts that God has spoken to you. God has great plans for your life. He has a, a destiny for you in Christ that's going to bring you to a place of fulfillment and great joy. But it doesn't seem like that at this moment in time because your life is being tossed to and fro and everything's going contrary to what the Word of God has said to you and maybe even words that have been spoken over you prophetically. If you're in that place, I want to pray with you, whether you're in here or you're watching this online because there will be people online who are in that place right now. And this prayer, whether you're watching this in real time or you're watching the playback of this, those who are watching this right now in their homes or wherever you are, this prayer is going to go over and cover you too. And if you believe as we pray together, God is going to strengthen you in your place of storm. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand together? You know what God just said to me? For some of us standing here, this is literally a matter of spiritual life or death. It's that serious. So I'm not talking about some small thing that you're passing through. In, in your life, this is huge. And maybe the people around you, this is what I feel the Lord is saying to me. Maybe the people around you don't understand what you're passing through they, they can't sympathize with what why, why you're acting the way you are why you perhaps you feel down why you've lost hope but god knows god knows he knows that the pattern of your 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 thinking god knows exactly where you're at and it doesn't matter how far off course you have drifted guess what god is able Somehow, even if you have to cling on to a broken piece of wood, so you lose everything, the car goes all gone, 
Even if you have to cling onto a broken piece of wood, you can't swim either. But you're hanging on. You're going to make it. Can I hear praise the Lord in this house? So we are believing in this house that these who are standing here, those who are watching online, you are going to make it. You're going to make it in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Stand in faith. Trust God like you've never trusted him before. How are you going to get out of this? Well, I don't know, but God knows. You see, God sees the end of the movie. You know, we're in the middle of it. God knows the end. And the God that we know and we love who is a good father, guess what? He's planned a good ending for you. He's planned a good ending for you. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. So don't watch this space only, but look forward that God is going to bring that deliverance and land you safely where he wants you. He's going to get you to your Rome. He's going to get you to your Rome. Amen. He's going to get you to your Rome. Amen. 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 So we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises of scripture. Thank you that you has created us to be practical people, people that can understand your word, but apply common sense. Lord, that's what you're saying to us from this passage of scripture. I pray in the name of Jesus for those who have come forward. Thank you for these honest hearts. Lord, some have given up, some have lost hope. Some right now are in the middle of a tempestuous storm. Lord, I haven't seen day for a long time. Lord, they're in the darkness. No sign of the sun or the stars. Lord, they've lost their bearings. They've got no idea where they are and how they've got there. But in the name of Jesus, Lord, we have heard from you today. We have heard from your word. Lord, and we believe your word, Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. And then we know your promises are true. But Lord, that doesn't mean that we're not going to pass through challenging and difficult circumstances. But Lord, we recognize that you are present. You are with us. You are with your people. You are with them, Lord. In this sanctuary today, you will be with them when they leave this service and go home. You will be with them on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, and Saturday until we return here next week. You are going to be present with them and they belong to you. They are your prized possessions, oh God. These are the apple of your eye. These are your beloved Lord who you welcome and receive with open arms, Lord. Not one will you reject, oh God. No matter where they're coming from, no matter what state of mind, Lord, they're in or what they have done, you will receive them with open arms in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that each of them will take the time to inquire of you, Lord, and seek your will. Lord, if they're not already there, move into the center of your purpose and your will for their lives in the name of Jesus. Lord, and I pray right now for a stirring of faith, a stirring of faith on the inside, oh God, to believe you. The word says that the just, the righteous live by faith, not by what we see, but by what we believe from your word. So let them, Lord, believe your promises. Maybe they may need to do some digging in the scripture this week. Go back to the promises of, of God. Lord, maybe they may need to, to, to do some research in your word and do some extra reading and some, spend some extra time in devotion this week, Lord, to allow your word to clear their cluttered minds of doubt and unbelief lord and let your word sweep away the lies of the enemy who's trying to wreck their lives lord i pray in jesus name lord that faith would come by hearing this week
and hearing by the word of God in the name of Jesus this is something practical this is something practical we have to do we can't just claim the promises of God we have to apply those promises and do some practical things Lord to engage faith and to inspire faith so that we can stand through this these tests and trials in the name of Jesus thank you father there's someone now watching online in the name of Jesus you're passing through your storm but I declare to you that every storm has an end and daylight is coming to you daylight is coming to you daylight is coming to you you're going to see the elements of the heavens again and you're going to set sail again you're going to head to land in the name of jesus in the name of jesus we speak out of this sanctuary here in harvest temple into the virtual spaces in the name of jesus don't give up don't give up don't succumb to the lies and deceit of the devil and people around you daylight is coming in the name of jesus and even if you can't swim you're going to make it 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 in the name of jesus christ because this is god's will and god's purpose for you so hang on be encouraged encourage yourself in the lord encourage yourself in the lord don't sit down in defeat don't sit down in doubt get up stand up in your spirit stand up in your spirit man you are a warrior hallelujah hallelujah we are soldiers we're not defeatists we're optimists we're people of faith hallelujah 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 we're entering into a period of light can we call in the day come on use your voices call in the day call in the daylight into your circumstances hallelujah yes lord it's been a long night it's been a long night lord we're weary we're tired we don't know if we can make it another day but we call it into the night and we call the, the, the daylight to come in oh god yes lord let the let the dawn break let the dawn break let the dawn break by faith look to the horizon the the sun is the sun is coming up the sun is coming up you know what his name is his name is jesus hallelujah 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 rising with healing with power with deliverance jesus christ the son of the living god hallelujah there's hope in this place i'm telling you grab it by faith grab it by faith don't leave out of this place with your doubting self as a doubting thomas take a hold of hope by faith amen talk to yourself talk to yourself give yourself a good talking right now give yourself a good talking tell yourself i am a child of god come on remind yourself remind your flesh remind your mind remind your desires tell yourself i am a child of god tell yourself but wait but wait i'm a child of god amen i'm a child of god and i'm gonna make it because god is with me come on tell yourself don't just say amen to me tell yourself tell yourself talk to yourself amen you understand what i'm saying amen sometimes my talking can't do it sometimes your friends talking can't do it sometimes you have a have to have a good talk with yourself sit down and sort out that mind of yours and tell your mind line up your mind with the word of god line up your mind with the scripture let the word of god straighten out your thinking because you know what sometimes 
The circumstances don't change, you know. But you have a different approach, a different mental attitude. And even though you're still in the fire, you're still in the flood, guess what? Because you align yourself with the word of God. You talk to yourself. Somehow you find the strength. Somehow you find the strength to keep going. Amen. Amen. Two more minutes to talk to yourself. If you need to move from the altar, talk to yourself. That's what God is saying to me. This is a bit different from what we normally do. Tell yourself. Tell yourself. Amen. Everybody, I need to do it. All of us need to do it. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ Jesus. Remind yourself of the call of God on your life. Amen. Remind yourself of what God has said to you in the past. Your destiny, where God is taking you. So no shipwreck, no snake bike is, is going to take you out. Amen. Not going to take you out. God has promised to you and you need to hold on to that. One more minute. Talk to yourself again. Hallelujah. Call your own name. Call your name. Talk to yourself. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.